Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. I am your host, Sophie, joined as always by my younger sister and amazing co-host, Hannah. How's it going, Hannah? Hey, um, it is going, or is it? I mean, I went and got myself uh, mildly concussed, so it could uh, be Hannah- today, could be yesterday, could be tomorrow, I have no idea. <laughs> she felt like the monotony of being quarantined was really getting to her, and she wanted to shake things up. Uh, I think there was an article in, like, Vogue or something, right, that was like, or maybe it was Cosmo, like, if you want to shake things up during quarantine, get a concussion. Just shake up your brain. <laughs> Just literally um, shake your brain inside your skull. <laughs> so you got a concussion. It's been five days. How are you feeling? Um, I'm all right. It's pretty, it's a very mild concussion. Like, I had a really bad concussion a couple years ago. This is not anywhere near that bad. Um, It was really bad. I basically, like, I slammed my head at work uh, last Thursday. And Friday and Saturday were really bad. Um, Like, Basically, my boyfriend said that on Thursday night we were watching TV and I'm acting totally normal. And then all of a sudden I just like mumbled some things that made no sense and then just like fell asleep so hard he couldn't wake me up. Oh, my gosh. And then um, on Friday morning I woke up and I like could not wake up like at all. And then I slept all day Friday, um, all night. Friday night and then Saturday I woke up and I felt pretty okay and we went for a walk and then after the walk I just threw up a bunch and then was like I have to go back to sleep um (laughs) so he was like we should talk to my sister because his sister's a neurologist um so yeah I mean basically I'm just really tired and um my head hurts a lot so just trying to take it easy. But I was really, really nauseous for the first couple of days, and I, like, couldn't eat. I was so nauseous. So at least I'm eating again. <laughs> yeah, that makes me happy. Yeah. Um, so I decided to shake things up during moving or during quarantine in a very different way, which is that my boyfriend and I just moved into a new apartment uh, about a week ago. So – Um, this had all sort of been arranged and decided long before, um, the current state of affairs came around. And so we were sort of already, like we had already told our landlord at our old place, we were going to terminate the lease at the end of April. We had already, you know, agreed to start renting this place, but obviously because of all of the current stay at home orders and social distancing measures that are in place that we're trying our best to abide by we had to move by ourselves and so none of our friends could come and help and uh i think if there's ever you know people always joke oh like building ikea furniture is like couples therapy you know um (laughs) i'm a person maybe it's just me but like i love building ikea furniture i find it very so do i i love it (laughs) like yeah whenever you on that yes thank you whenever we get ikea furniture and um Jeremy's like, do you want help with it? I'm like, no, I got it. Like, I'm just going to put a podcast on and just like put this together and feel great. So, so 
honestly, the real uh, form of couples therapy I learned is trying to take apart IKEA furniture uh, as a couple without the instructions. <laughs> um, so Jeremy and I have like a sectional couch that we got from IKEA that wasn't going to fit out the door of our old apartment, let alone in our vehicle to bring it over. And we like could not fake. We wanted to try to take it apart as little as possible. Um, and oh my gosh, it was ridiculous. But I think, you know, I've decided that if I didn't already know he was the one, the <laughs> fact that we, the fact that we spent literally 10 consecutive days with each other all day, every day from the moment we woke up to the moment we went to sleep, which I know a lot of people are doing right now. But on top of that, we were packing and moving and unpacking and organizing and cleaning uh for 10 days and managed to like not really get in any fights and still enjoy each other's company at the end of it so I was like yeah well hey I guess we're good like that was uh that was the test that is truly a feat like that is that is impressive like I always think of um one of my, like, this sounds weird to say, but one of my favorite fights uh, my ex-boyfriend and I ever got into was when in college I had a single my senior year. So I went and bought a bed frame from Ikea and then, like, mm-hmm. tied it to my school bed so I could make a big bed. Oh, and, I know this story and I love this story. <laughs> yeah, and it was, like, <laughs> we were, it was, like, day one back on campus um, we weren't even really, t- like, technically together at the time. It was very college in that way. Um, and we were getting ready to drive to Ikea, and all of our friends were asking us where we were going. And we every time we said we were going to Ikea, everyone was like, oh, good luck. And we were like, what? And we, like, drove out to Ikea. I had already, like, pre-ordered it, so we just picked it up, picked up the box, put it in the car, went to Daily Eats because he had never been, which if you're ever in Tampa, Florida, uh. got to go to Daily Eats. Oh, my God. I just ate a giant dinner, and that just made me hungry. I love it. <laughs> and, yeah, it's like, in fact, if you're anywhere near Tampa, Florida, and they are open, get some delivery or takeout from there to mm-hmm. uh, patronize them in this dark time. But we drove home. We're like, wow, we're awesome. We're amazing. Like, we didn't have any problems. Like, everyone thought Ikea was going to break us. We did great. And then... I don't know, like six hours later, um, after we had gone to two different parties separately, and I went back to my dorm because I was so excited to build my bed, mm-hmm. like, drunk. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he came over to hang out, and he didn't want to build furniture drunk, and um, basically we got into this hilariously stupid fight over, like him not wanting to build furniture and me wanting to build furniture and not needing him to help me. (laughs) Like, and I feel like it, I feel like if I remember correctly, it boiled down to like, in some ways it was definitely also related to him having just like 
commitment fears about what you guys were doing and he was and it was like he felt like if he built this bed with you then he had to marry you and you were like <laughs> you can hang out with me while I build the bed this is like not a serious it thing. was like <laughs> if we build this bed together we will die in this bed together yeah, when we are 90 <laughs> yeah you weren't saying like if we build this bed together we will someday give it to our grandchildren and he was like oh the world is spinning it was like not a big he was like, I just can't build a bed right now, Hannah. I just can't. And I'm like, I'm not asking you to. <laughs> like, it was so funny. And eventually I was like, what are we even arguing about? I was like, this is so silly. And then and then we were like just kind of laughing about how ridiculous this whole thing was. And I was like, well, there you go. Ikea did get us after all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it snuck up in So you and, you and Jeremy, like taking stuff apart, putting it back together, like doing stuff with and without instructions, like that really is uh, genuinely impressive. And also, here's a hot take that I feel like you and I can agree on. Um, I know that there is a large contingent of people who sort of feel like, ugh, poo-poo, Ikea is like cheap, shitty furniture. Beg to differ. I love Ikea furniture. I am currently sitting at a coffee table that I have had from Ikea for like 15 years that's still in great shape. Like, I don't know. I appreciate that. I I think if you if you don't want to buy Ikea things, that's fine. But I appreciate that Ikea is like within my budget, can make furniture that looks nice and is utilitarian and pretty easy to put together. And if you take care of it, it will last. Um, and so... Jeremy and I bought this end table from Target um, during our move because we wanted, uh, we have an L-shaped couch and the coffee table sort of sits in the middle of the L. So if you're on either of the ends, you don't have easily accessible space to put drinks down. So we wanted to buy an end table for the side of the couch. We got this end table from Target. We ordered it online. We were very excited. Um, Hannah, this table came. You, <laughs> I think, seen it, or maybe, I guess you weren't on the family Zoom call where I gave everyone a tour, but I'll send you a picture. Um, it's a great idea for an end table. It, it is both an end table and a coffee table where it is basically like three solid planks of wood. One is parallel to the floor. The other two are the legs and they go on the end, obviously, and they're perpendicular to the floor. So it yeah. can be a coffee table or you can turn it on its side and then it's a little end table. It can be like a laptop. I'm using it right now. It's like a laptop stand. So your laptop's like right at the perfect height if you're on the couch. It's lovely. But... You just want to brag about how you can look at a laptop and like not get a headache. No, listen, Hannah, I'm going (laughs) to make you, I'm going to, I promise I'm going to bring this back around to a place that's going to like, I'm going to knock myself down a peg. Just listen. I mean, I've seen the table. It's a beautiful table. So we get this table from my, uh, from Target and it, it comes in the mail. We open it and immediately Jeremy's like, do you want to help me build it? I was like, I would love to help you build it. And I opened the instruction book. And I was like, what the fuck is this shit? (laughs) And the instructions, first of all, if Ikea needs you to have a tool to build the piece of furniture, it's going to be a tool you own. Mm -hmm. Or Or one that comes in a plastic bag that they've provided. Correct. It will either be a screwdriver or a hammer, which I hope that you have, or it will be a weird Allen wrench that they have already put in the box. Now, this... The table was like, you're going to need a rubber mallet and you're also going to need a power drill. Now, luckily, (laughs) we own several power drills. We do not own a rubber mallet, but I was like, we can make it work with um, 
a hammer and I'll just like put something soft in between the hammer and the surface so we don't like, damage anything. Now, as far as the power drill goes, the instructions say if you want to, you can just use a screwdriver. But we quickly realized that several of the places that we're putting screws, there are no guide holes. They have not drilled anything. So like, I can't imagine how angry I would be if I was trying to put it together with a screwdriver and I didn't have a power drill. And I was just like, carefully and angrily trying to screw into wood that does not have a hole in it. Ugh, yeah. Um, with a, like, a Definitely going to need a power drill for that. Like, 100%. no way around it. Um, and then, like, a lot of the pieces, uh, there's a lot of screws that came with these stickers that are the same color as the um, end table, so you can cover them up, but a bunch of the hole guide holes weren't screwed or drilled properly, so the things, like, pop out at weird angles. So anyway... We finished putting this thing together, and the whole time I'm, like, raging. And at the end of it, I was like, not at Jeremy, we got along fine. But at the end of it, I was like, I will never buy unassembled furniture from Target ever again. I said, because with Ikea, you know, like, you go to the Ikea, you pick it up, you know it's from Ikea. With Target's website, it might as well be Amazon. They're just, like, they have all these third-party people or companies that you're getting stuff from, and you have no idea, like, the quality of what you're getting. Not to mention... The corners of this table are so fucking sharp. It is, I, I appreciate owning it. It is a good resource, but I have to be careful when I sit here to do the computer because if I move my arm wrong and it bumps the corner, it like scratches my arm up. And earlier today, I was wearing shorts because it's warm in Kansas City and I went to sit on the couch and I just like caught the very corner of it with my leg and slashed. Oof. My upper, like the back of my upper thigh, right under my butt cheek. Just like it looks like somebody walked behind me with a razor blade and went like shink across my butt, um, and it was bleeding. And I like sent Jeremy a, a Snapchat because he went back to Columbia this morning, and I was like, just want you to know, you've been gone for two hours, and I already slashed my ass <laughs> open on this stupid coffee table. <laughs> Um, and he was like, get it together. And I was like, you know, I, I'm doing my best. Like this coffee table is going to be the death of me. Um, yeah. That also, um, one more story that we can move on from the, um, Hannah, Sophie destroy their bodies part of this <laughs> podcast. But, um, so I had two experiences where first I was on a video chat with you and Jeremy with my boyfriend and he took you guys with the phone like took you guys out to look at the skyline from the porch what a delight and while you were gone i tried to sit down on his one of his bar stools which are made out of uh like metal and i just slipped right off and tried to grab onto the corner <laughs> of the counter but just fell on my back really hard and i was so upset because the fall was pretty ridiculous but no one was around to see it and then on Saturday, I managed to um, decide not to go on the roof with my roommates who wanted to go up on our roof and see, like, if that was a viable place to hang out while we're quarantined. And I was like, probably shouldn't. I have a concussion. While they were all on the roof, I went to get food from, like, the Postmates we ordered, and I fell down the stairs. And I have several very large bruises. And basically, at the end of that, uh, my boyfriend was just like, so essentially, I just can never leave you alone or you will die. Ever. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Now, Hannah, I guess that's not really on brand for this podcast, but both of us are um, somewhat uh, like incapable of not causing ourselves physical harm <laughs> when <Yeah>. alone. <laughs> oh, for sure. I love to like stub my legs into any obstruction I can find. Just like, God damn it. <laughs> um, but Hannah, since we do purport to be a brunch podcast, I have to recommend a cocktail. Now I teased this to you earlier on the phone. I have to recommend a cocktail that I am drinking right now. Um, that I think is going to be my new, uh, like easy go-to drink for any time that I am just like, I want something kind of like light and summery. That's very easy. Now I can take no credit for this. I saw this posted on the Instagram website for Dogfish Head Brewing, which is a, you know, Delaware favorite for both of us. Um, so Dogfish Head makes a beer called Sequench, which is a sour session ale that's made with uh, salt and black limes. It's, I think it's really good. It's very Whoa. Um, have you had Sequench, Hannah? Um, I have, yeah. You have to have, yeah. But I feel um, like I didn't. I feel like it was a bit weird for me when I had it. That's okay. I mean, Jeremy doesn't like it. It's, it's certainly not for everyone. Um, I really enjoy it, and it has become sort of uh, important to me from a nostalgia standpoint because our brother and I both shotgunned a sequence after we finished our first marathon, and I shotgunned another one after I finished my second marathon in New Orleans. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like my marathon beer as well. Uh, but Dogfish Head posted this picture on Instagram a couple weeks ago, and I immediately was like, I have to try that. Now, Sequench has become one of their kind of standard beers. I mean, we have we can get Dogfish Head out here in Kansas City. We can't get everything, but we can usually get a decent selection. And in the past, Sequench is all over the place once you get into spring and summer. Hmm. Uh, now, obviously, I haven't been going out as much, but I was not able to find Sequench for weeks, and I was getting so upset. I finally found some, and I made this drink which was you take a sequench, you take, you know, a, a, a generous sip of it, and then you pour a shot of tequila in the can. Whoa. And it is delightful. And, and if you want to be fancy, which I did um, the first time I had it, I salted the rim of the can before I opened it, and then I took a sip of beer, and then I put my uh, tequila in. Whoa! Yeah. So okay. If you can dress up your sequench. It's really good. It's very. It's really quite tasty. Well, I'm not drinking right now because you know I'm concussed. Because you're concussed. <laughs> but I'll uh, make a note of that for the future. I just found one of my favorite beers um, at a random grocery store. I I popped into over the weekend, like while out on a walk. There's a. a brewery um up in michigan near where my friend has a lake house that i've gone up to like vac like go on vacation with him before mm -hmm. um and they make this beer that i love in the summertime that's called soft parade and Wait, who is this is it um shorts no oh. it's um crap i'm gonna i can't remember if it's haymarket or wait because there's two of them that are very close together um, but anyway, they just, so like pre, uh, pre COVID, they had announced that they were going to discontinue soft parade, um, just in general. Cause it wasn't like 
Uh, oh, wait, you're right. It is shorts. Mm-hmm. Whoa, Soft way though. to go, Sophie. Soft Parade is a really good beer. I thought I was mistaken, but yeah, that beer is real good. So they're going to get rid of it, or they announced that they were getting rid of it. And then I found it in the random, um, like, grocery store I just wa- happened to walk into for a snack, and I got so excited. That's awesome. There was, like, one time, because that's a beer that's, like, deceptively high alcohol. There was one time we went on a kayaking trip, and it's kind of like a like a fruity, shandy type of beer, so, like... We were on a kayaking trip for, like, two hours, and I had, like, four or five of them. Um, and when we came back, like, to his um, his lake house doesn't have a dock. Mm-hmm. It just has, like, seawall, basically. So you have to, like, push yourself up off of the kayak to, like, <laughs> hoist yourself onto the dock. Okay. Uh, and that was a time that I just absolutely... Uh, realized like as I was trying to hoist myself off the kayak I was like I am drunker than I thought and that was a time that I proceeded to scrape the ever-living shit out of my leg I think I still have a scar on my butt from where I fell that time (laughs) still love the beer though uh speaking of bodily harm (laughs) let's get into the movie that we're doing this week uh Mm -hmm. you picked it so I'm gonna let you tell folks about it okay well so we well, I, I guess. I chose um, Bliss, and I chose Bliss because I had seen the trailer for it, and I got a Shutter subscription um, because of you, by the way. By the I way. Shutter is full of great content, especially now. Okay, well, tell me why. I'm, I got a month of free Shutter, and then the first charge I got after that, it was $65. They may have charged you for the full year. I don't know what you did when you signed up. That's only they charged you for so, a year. So, anyway. Um. <laughs> did, you, did you cancel it after you after the month was over? I forgot. I'm concussed. I know. I know. <laughs> I have a feeling this was before your concussion, but I'll allow it. Anyway, so whatever. But... I saw the trailers for it, and I saw it on Shudder, and I was trying to watch as many movies on Shudder as I could while I had the subscription. Um, And it looked like it was, like, we watched the trailer, and um, I was like, this looks like it'll be fun. And so do you want me to, like, explain the plot or just, like, get into my reaction to it? Why don't you do the plot first and then tell me what you thought of it? Okay. So it's basically like a um, struggling artist in L.A. and she needs to finish a painting and she gets into this like this drug called Bliss, which is just like a bunch of other drugs, like very pure forms put together. And um, she does a bunch of drugs and hangs out with this couple and they have a threesome and then sort of like little by little, she starts to like question her sanity and just kind of what's happening to her. And then it kind of becomes clear she's turning into a vampire or something like it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she just kind of like rages around (laughs) a lot. 
in the process, and she kills Norm from Cheers. She does. Um, so this really quickly, <clears throat> the lead actress in this movie, her name is Dora Madsen, and I had seen her once before because this same director did a movie called VFW. The writer-director of this is named Joe Bagos. Uh, he did another movie called VFW after this one, which Dora Madison is in, and Norm from Cheers is in that movie as well. Okay, so they're... So they must be buds or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, the the trailers were... The trailer made it look really good, and, and it had gotten some good reviews. Um, I would say pretty quickly from my own experience watching it, um, the acting was really tough mm-hmm. to watch. Um, and so pretty quickly I was like, uh-oh, this may have been a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> In particular, uh, Dora Madison was absolutely trying really hard and I and I give her props for that but her performance to me which was what what I had sort of heard toted as like the selling point of the film mm-hmm. um was just like really flat um yeah. my second that, note my second note for this movie was all the actors are bad <laughs> yeah it was like it's so hard too and so I think that was something that um, I kind of immediately realized and was like, uh-oh, and then just saw carry throughout was at first I got really – at first it was like there's some cool ideas here. There's some cool stuff. There's some cool visuals. And then I was like, God, this acting is so bad. And um, that kind of started to make it feel like it was slogging along um, more than I was really getting into um, the movie, and then uh, by the end of it, I was just kind of thinking, like, it had some really cool ideas um, and some fun bits and bobs here and there, but that to me it felt like it just wasn't executed very well. Hmm. Like, I like um, the idea of, like, an artist's descent into madness and everything, um, but... I don't know. It was, I, 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 like, I sort of, like, felt like it needed to pick a lane. Like, either it was going to be kind of, like, campy and be horror movie, or it was going to be, like, um, like, surrealist, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, that it was going to be kind of ambiguous as to what was going on, um, so I kind of felt like it, it just, like, bobbled back and forth between those two things and, and didn't really find its footing yeah, in either I, one. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so we should say off the bat that uh, I had seen VFW previous to this, and I actually really, really enjoyed VFW quite a lot. Um and I will get into that movie a little bit in the discussion of this because I think it's I think it is relevant because they came out very close together time wise and they share some of the same cast. Uh, I did not like this movie at all. Um, <laughs> I agree. I really didn't like uh, 
for me, Dora Madison's performance in particular was really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, I really didn't like it. And it's interesting because, like I said, she is in BFW as well. And she is more of a side character. She doesn't have as much, especially uh, as much dialogue. But I think she's so good in that um, that I have to assume that this was like a weird direction choice, like a weird choice between she and the director to have her be amped up the way that she is. Um, yeah. I mean, I know she's supposed to be, like, going on and off of really intense drugs and she's having mood swings, but, like, even when she's sober, she is so, like, violently unlikable. Um, yeah. And as, as a woman who swears a lot and, and speaks really profanely and doesn't really have time for people wanting, expecting, like, women to be... Uh, docile and have a filter I just like stop found... bragging it well my point is like, <laughs> no, it just I'm felt just like every other word out of her mouth was fuck and I was like we get it you're like a very edgy artist I don't like I just got so sick of listening to her like say the word fuck over and over again um, yeah it was driving me bananas and this is well there was even like a time where she was drunk and she was at one point I was like oh she's joking like, she's pretending to be a, a person who's drunk and acting, like, yeah, overly ridiculous. And then as the scene continued, I was like, oh, oh, no, she's supposed to Mysteria. actually be sincere. And I was like, oh, that's not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's funny because, so I, so I guess, yeah, my overall impression is I was not a huge fan of this movie. There's lots of things we can get into. I agree with you that I think there's some, there are there is a germ of an interesting idea at the heart of this movie. But the problem for me is that all the parts of it visually and narratively that were cool felt like they were doing, trying to do a thing that a different movie already did better. Um, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So before we get too far past, since we did sort of start out talking about Dora Madison's performance, uh, I think this will make you laugh, but I have to say it anyway. So I'm going to be recording another podcast. I'm going to be a guest on another podcast right after you and I wrap up. And uh, I'm going to be podcasting with our very dear friend, uh, Andrew, and, and our friend Jason. And we're going to be discussing the movie Showgirls, uh, which I had never seen until today. And I finished Bliss this morning, and then I watched Showgirls this afternoon, which, like, first of all, what a double whammy of just, like, stuff that made me feel icky um but it's interesting because i was reading all this imdb trivia about uh showgirls and about the way that obviously like that movie ruined elizabeth berkeley's career and there was a quote from paul verhoeven where he was like you know i direct like all of the way that she's a lot of the beef that she gets from that movie is people not liking her performance and feeling like it's too like aggressive and uh volatile and Paul Verhoeven is like, I really, that's what I wanted. That's what I directed her to do. I was hoping that once we find out that she had some drug use in her background, like it would make sense. Um, but like the whole time I was watching Showgirls, I was like, I feel like Dora Madison watched Showgirls and was like, I'm Elizabeth <laughs> Berkeley, but metal. <laughs> and I was just like, this is like, it's too, it's just too much. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. I mean, to watch those movies back to back would provide some unfortunate connections and crossover, I'm sure. I had a day, man. I had a day. Um, 
So I, I do want to give a brief shout out to like one thing about the movie that made me happy, which is that uh, Jeremy Gardner plays her boyfriend. And Jeremy Gardner is a writer, director, actor of like micro budget horror films. So he did The Battery, which you and I have both seen, which is this really, really low budget zombie apocalypse movie about these two guys who I don't know that we ever get their background explicitly, but it seems like they probably like played on a softball team together or something. And then the mm-hmm. zombie apocalypse happened and now they're stuck together. Um, and it's, I think it's a really fascinating movie and a great zombie movie done with a very low budget. Um, and Jeremy Gardner just released a movie called After Midnight, um, which I think we're going to do on the show soon, that I got to see at Panic Fest that was really interesting. And I think of all of the parts of this movie, um, like, I found his performance to be the most, like, palatable and real feeling, but he's not in the movie very much. I mean, he plays a jerk. He, he's not a good person. Right. Um, but he feels like a real jerk and not, like, I feel like Dora Madison's character feels like a caricature of, like, a really aggressive, like, angry, coarse woman. And, and Jeremy Gardner's character feels very grounded. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, his feels more like a he created a character or, like, it feels more like a person that you would believe existing and hers is a little bit like a caricature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like that goes... I feel like that's sort of true for the couple that she meets at the beginning as well. Um, because I didn't mind, like, the way that they interacted at the party and, like, the, um, I mean, the threesome I thought was shot pretty well and, like, (laughs) done very well. Yeah. Um. The guy in that, uh, couple is the, like, super privileged head of the white boy gang in the first Purge movie who wears the scary mask. (laughs) Um, So he's moving up in the world is what you're saying. Oh, definitely. Um, All of that I didn't mind, but it was more like after that when she started questioning things and when she ran into them a few more times, it was just like they were like, like the woman especially it was like every line she was just like oh whatever you don't know and it was just like so ridiculous that their performances as well I was, they were just so over the top I was just like what am ha- what's happening like where where's the ground that I'm standing on like am I like is this supposed to be ridiculous or not right right yeah I can like, definitely see that yeah, like, especially when it got into the, like, the parts of the movie where she would actually kill people, and they're, they're like, really gory and very over the top. Like, when she killed Norm from Cheers, she bit into his arm and, like, like ripped it off, and you saw, like, the skin stretch, you know, like, kind of, like, in the thing. Or when she, like, bit her, that her drug dealer's hand, and, like, when she pulled it out of his, her mouth, they're, like, part of his, one of... Excuse me, most of his fingers were gone, and then one was just the bones. Yeah. Like, 
Ugh, that was awful. So all of that was, like, really, like, over the top, but, like, and there's, like, blood spurting everywhere, and, and with that guy, she was, like, drinking the blood out of his hand, and, like, that stuff is, like, inherently sort of, like, I mean, it was really well done, uh, practical effects, but it's also, yeah. like, kind of, it's a little goofy inherently, I think. Um, so in that same way, it was, like, is this movie trying to be, like, super serious artist ascended to madness or is this movie supposed to be like sort of a B movie failed artist like drug addict turns into a vampire <laughs> like yes no I totally I totally agree because there's that, also oh sorry what are you saying I was gonna say I'm glad you brought that up because that is definitely how I felt and it's why I wanted to bring up the FW so and I'll just do this quick because I feel like for me where VFW succeeds and where this movie doesn't work for me personally is that VFW is about, it's like a dystopian near future where there is some new drug that's out and it's driving people uh, bananas and they're sort of like weird, scary, like drugged out gutter punks. Mm. Um, And there's a uh, VFW, a Veterans of Foreign Wars bar that uh, Norm goes to and Stephen Lang is kind of the guy that operates the VFW. And so if the movie starts and, you know, uh, Stephen Lang, and I can't remember who else is in it, but it's a lot of, like, great older um, character actors playing these, like, uh, veterans that are all hanging out at a bar. And while they're all hanging out, the sort of kingpin drug lord at the, it looks like an abandoned mall, maybe, across the street, he murders a woman or... um, basically like can uh, makes her commit suicide compels her to commit suicide for drugs mm. and so her sister steals his stash and when she runs away she runs into the VFW and so now all these veterans are like we don't really want to get wrapped up into this but like we also can't um, just like throw this girl to these people who are going to kill her and so it becomes like a siege kind of movie where they're trying to protect this little um, like dive bar VFW station from these, like they're described as like mutants, but they're really just very drugged out, like future punks. Um, and <laughs> future punks band name, yeah. I call it. <laughs> it's another movie that has like really awesome practical effects, but in that movie, it feels pretty clear that like it is going for B movie camp. Like it is, there are very heart-wrenching scenes. Like, we care about the characters, and obviously some of the veterans don't make it, and all of those deaths, I think, are treated, uh, are, are meant to be sad, but the movie as a whole doesn't feel like it takes itself super seriously. And for me, I think the main failing point of this movie is it just feels like there's so much of the female protagonist character that feels like she takes herself super seriously. Yeah. Thinks she's a lot cooler than I think she is. And I feel like the movie does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, I mean, I think, uh, Dora Madison is beautiful and her hair is like, Oh my gosh, her hair was amazing. Her hair is amazing. And I just feel like, the director was like, he saw her hair and he was like, you've got the part. Like, that was, it was like that hair, that hair yeah. is the artist. Like, it was like there was nothing else 
going on with her character besides her hair. Her hair. <laughs> I don't know if you felt this way, but like at the conclusion of the movie, Dora Madison is sort of like covered in blood and paint and she's naked and she's like writhing around in blood and paint and painting. And a part of me felt like, Oh, the writer director like thought of this image, thought it would be really cool. And then tried to like reverse engineer a movie so that he could get to this scene. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I feel that. Yeah. I think like, um, another thing I would, I would point to that sort of also confused me as to like where this movie was trying to fall was like around that same time, or I guess it's after she kills the guys in the stash house, but she there's a like a nod to interview with a vampire. Um, or at least it seems that way, because she is like cover she's got like blood on her face and stuff, but she's wearing sunglasses at night and driving um this like old convertible across the same bridge that um Christian Slater drives in Interview with the Vampire before he gets attacked by Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like, notice that connection, but I, but then I'm like, okay, so where are we? Like, what are we going for here? Like, are we going for Interview with the Vampire, which was, like, very campy and over-the-top? Um, I also got major Lost Boys vibes from this movie, which, again, is, like, very campy and over-the-top. Yeah, that's a good point, too, actually. Like, there's all those scenes where... There's multiple scenes where... uh, Dora Madison's character, Dez, is having, like, auditory hallucinations of Courtney. And it was... And, like, and I had the same thing where she's driving around with those Ray-Bans on, and I was like, who do you think you are, Jason Patrick? Like, get out of here. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's, like, a lot of... Like, nods, I would say, to other, like, classic but kitschy vampire movies. Um, so it was, it, that also just made it hard to discern, like, where this movie was trying to fall on that spectrum. Yeah. And, like, you say nods, but I say, like, maybe they were ripping those movies off or, like, didn't realize. It just, like, some of it didn't, di- I could be totally wrong, but to me, some of it did not feel intentional so much as it felt like, oh, I saw this thing once and it was really cool and then I kind of forgot and I think it was my idea. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I totally agree with with your assessment where uh, the ending to me felt so much like he maybe did some drugs and had an idea and was like, that's a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, and then just, yeah, just tried to like build a, a film around that. And that's probably why the film, I think, feels like it just sort of, meanders and doesn't really go anywhere yeah um and doesn't really say anything or like achieve anything because i don't know that it even really was trying to say anything or achieve anything other than to get to that ending because if it's trying to make a connection between being an artist and being a vampire if it's trying to make a connection between being a drug addict and being a vampire between being a drug addict and an artist, like none of those, all those ideas are presented, but none of them are connected or formed into anything that feels like it's actually concretely representing anything or Mm -hmm. like saying anything about 
the relationship between all of those aspects of her life. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that I could see it trying to say that I think it says, although to me it felt ham-fisted, and I agree, it doesn't really address some of the the bigger themes that the movie is using. But, you know, there's this part <clears throat> where Jeremy Gardner confronts Des. I can't remember Jeremy, Gar- Jeremy Gardner's character's name, but he confronts her about the drugs, and he's like, you know, you're blacking out, you're covered in blood, you don't know what happened last night. Like, you need to... Because at, at the beginning of the movie, she's sober. She's been sober for three months. and But while she's been sober, she hasn't been able to uh, right. paint. And so he's sort of like, this is obviously not good for you and it could kill you. And she says something to the effect of, like, I would rather die than not be able to make my art and you know I it's funny because I listened there's a really great podcast called Nightmare University Uh, Dr. Rebecca McKendry is a super awesome scholar who is like an expert at all things horror and if you don't listen to her podcast you should but she was at Panic Fest I did not get to see her um, but she interviewed AJ Bowen and they were talking about micro budget horror films and they were talking about this idea that like if you are a creator and you have an idea that you want to see realized and you can't get the backing or like you can't get the support to do it as a, a short or whatever or you, to do it as a feature, uh-huh. um, like just if you can find a way to make the short, make the short. And they were like, we all as artists know the feeling of you have this idea and like you just need to, to it needs to be brought into the world in some way. And so I think this movie is trying to, it seems, sort of grapple with that feeling. And what we get at the end is she, fin- after she has basically killed every person that she knows, <laughs> she finishes her painting and she looks up at it. She's covered in blood. She looks up at it. She smiles and then she explodes or implodes. Um, and then we see the painting and the painting is like, a self-portrait of her, but her whole body and, and skirt are like made up of screaming naked bodies. Um, and so I think what the movie, it felt like what the movie is trying to get at is like for her, it, she, she completed what she needed to complete. And like, it didn't matter to her that to do that, she had to kill all these people and put her health at risk. But I agree that like that, if that's all that the movie is saying, then I don't understand. Yeah, it just it for me it didn't it did, it just didn't. Work. Yeah, it's it like if work. all the movie is trying to if all the movie is saying is like an artist is sort of like the sum of the people they come into contact with, or like a struggling artist is the is the sum of the people that they hurt along the way, or something like even that. Like I just feel like we are we're doing more work for this movie than it did for us. Mm-hmm. Like to, to get us anywhere. Like, and even, even with that in the, like in the beginning, um, cause I also don't feel like, you know, they did kind of make a point to say she had been sober. Um, the, even the title being bliss doesn't super make sense because the, the drugs isn't really what, is her like undoing it's more like the fact that she's like turning into a vampire um unless it's supposed to be that that's like not explicitly what's happening and it could just be 
he's hallucinating it, but I don't feel like they make that clear enough if, if it's supposed to be that way. Um, so even with it being like, oh, she's abandoning her sobriety for her art, it to me seemed like her thirst for blood or for like mayhem and murder was more the issue at hand and less, I mean, the drug things was bad, but to me it was like the, the drugs took a backseat to the murderous rampage and rage. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I, I just think like, I think the name of the movie being bliss also just sort of kind of goes along with the, movie itself is really muddling like the drugs the being an artist and the turning into a vampire of it all right right uh, and i wanted to so the sort of uh, the last thing that i had that i wanted to talk about that i think we can talk about for a couple minutes is um this movie very early on makes a choice stylistically to be really, really intense visually. And I'm not talking about the practical effects, which are really, really, really intense and really gruesome. But, you know, right at the beginning, we get a warning that if you are someone who suffers from seizures, the movie's going to have flashing lights. And and I'm kind of like, huh, I wonder what it's going to be. And you go right into the opening credits, which are just like bright and neon and Mm -hmm. strobing and flashing. A lot of the um, sequences where she is, on drugs are like super, super disorienting and flashing. Uh, And it was interesting because again, I was reminded of a movie that, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair to say that Bliss is cribbing this movie because I don't think they are. It's just another movie that I think did a similar thing, but for me did it better. Um, I don't know. Did you ever watch Climax, the Gaspar Noé movie? No, I really want to, but I haven't seen it. Oh my goodness. Uh, we should cover that for our podcast, but I'm going to need some time before I can watch it again. Um, <laughs> that is a movie that uh, involves a lot of people being on drugs and does a lot of things stylistically with camera work and coloring um, and sort of like oversaturated and undersaturated shots to just be really, really disorienting. And in, and there is a sequence towards the end of um climax where I remember Jeremy was in Columbia. I watched it alone and (laughs) I remember texting him and I was like, I feel like I'm going to pass out. Like there's this scene towards the end where everything is lit with red light. And I think there's a strobe light happening. And then for a while, the camera is upside down. So everything is happening upside down on screen. And it's like very, very like anxiety provoking and sort of like stressful to watch, but Mm -hmm. in a way that I found really effective. And I felt like the movie really earned you feeling that way. And to me, a lot of that kind of stuff in this movie felt again, like maybe the director was like, it would look really cool if we did this, but it, and I think part of it is maybe this is just my headspace because of where we are with the current coronavirus. And like, it's hard to watch things that are, stressful or or whatever but it's not even like it stressed me out it honestly just made me angry i was like why are you doing this to me right now Mm -hmm. yeah Um, well even some of the stuff with like like her like i always i always have such a problem too with movies and tv shows when it's supposed to be about like a struggling artist or someone who is 
being we're being told is struggling with money mm-hmm. but has like a amazing car and lives in a ridiculous apartment right. like so like we we keep being told like her her landlord's like you didn't pay your rent i'm going to have to kick you out but like nothing ever comes of that and she has a like a pretty dope apartment um i always find that kind of annoying when it's like when it's like this person is poor but don't worry we're still going to make sure they're really cool um yeah. and like uh even for her being an artist like her whole apartment was painted black and had like checked floors and no curtains and stuff and i don't know i was just like if someone was a painter like would they really want their studio to be completely black like she doesn't even have lights she uses like candles so it's like she can't paint and like like when she paints something by candlelight it's not going to look the same in daylight like there was just a lot of that stuff too that I was like this doesn't even make sense for her being an artist like no wonder she's a bat like she's not getting anywhere with her painting like she's just she's not doing it very well she's not doing it right she's not doing it right listen I'm not a painter but she ain't doing it right. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are you are hilarious. Um, Even the bathroom was painted black, and I was like, God, really? Like, <laughs> I don't know. That too, to me, is like, I get it. Like, she's punk rock. Like, she's like metal, whatever. But does she really like move into her apartment and be like, first thing we're gonna do is paint everything black? <laughs> yeah. No. I. I. Yeah. A lot. A lot. So I guess, like, the, this movie just didn't work for me. Uh, we should wrap up because I feel like I could just talk for a long time about how much I didn't enjoy this movie, but I don't need that kind of negativity in my life right now. And yeah. And our listeners. I <laughs> would say my last thing is, yes, as I yes, said yes. when we covered The Grudge, to me, a movie, it's one thing for a movie to be bad. Like, a movie can be fun bad. A movie can just be bad bad. But it is so much more frustrating and offensive to me for a movie to be boring. And, like, I found this movie to be, at times, quite boring. So this would fall into that realm for me, which is part of why it was, like, such a a bummer instead of a bliss. Instead of a bliss. Yeah. Oh, beautifully. So well put. Um, How many Bloody Marys would you give bliss? out of five um i would give bliss out of five like um half a bloody mary that uh dora would have like stumbled into a bar and like taken and drank and off the bar like not knowing whose it belonged to or how long it had been there (laughs) oh my goodness that is that's perfect um I'm going to give this movie, mm, I'm going to give this movie one and a half Bloody Marys because I do think like there are some sequences that look cool visually and I like to see Jeremy Gardner, but as a whole, this movie just did not work for me. But my one and a half Bloody Marys are made with real blood. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. I like that. (laughs) Also, I have to say, like, I don't want to sound like a total perv, but I do think that the threesome in this was like, I mean, it worked for me. No, it was, it was lovely. It I, was, it was, yes, it was, it was good. 
<laughs> yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, it happens relatively early on. You could honestly just like watch through the threesome or just like skip to the threesome. You'll know you'll know when you're there. You'll know when it's happening. <laughs> like I always say about And it goes on you'll for know a when while. it's happening. It so does. like you you're getting a a nice little slice of slice of time with that threesome, so <laughs> And I feel to really like, sit um, with it. <laughs> I feel like I really want to make sure that you and our listeners hear this, but uh, like they always say about threesomes, you'll know when it's happening. <laughs> um, um, it's funny to me because, um, pers- like, so for me being bisexual, like, I think that um, threesomes are often like a weird thing for me where, like, I've been with. It's usually, I mean, what am I saying? I've never been asked by any, like, any girl I've ever dated or hooked up with to have a threesome. But so many guys that I have come into contact with in any, like, sexual way, especially if they, like, if they find out or if I share, like, that I am attracted to women and have dated women, then they're like, oh, my God, we should have a threesome. Right. And I'm always like, it's so weird because for me, the experiences are so different that I don't even necessarily have an interest in mixing them. And like in my head, I'm always just like, how would it work? Like, I don't even understand who does what, whose hands go where. Huh? And so Where does I, the peanut butter come into this situation? Yeah, exactly. There's too many armpits to deal with. Exactly. I had too many armpits, like, like, oh my God, wow, maybe that's the title of my autobiography or my band, too many armpits, either or, um, but either way, what I mean to say is I did watching this scene, I was kind of like, huh, so that's how that works. Like there was like, like, I was like, I could see how this could work. I could see how people like that. But it's just funny because normally I'm just, like, so put off by the whole thing because it's become this, like, sort of, like, weird fetishized thing in connection with my sexuality that normally I'm just, like, so turned off by the whole concept. Um, So for this to win me over, at least in that respect, it was that part of it was a success. (laughs) Good. I'm so very glad to hear that. Um, (laughs) So, Hannah, are you ready for our in ladyer news this week? Yes. So, guys, if you... It's a happy one, right? Or at least I hope. It is. If you guys have been listening the last couple weeks, you know that I've been really stretching the definition of news. Um, But this week, I'm actually going to read you guys a piece of news. And it's a very short article. So I'm just going to read it because I think we all need this right now. Um, This article ran in Esquire and it's called Sometimes Hope and History Do Rhyme. Okay. Not in that title, they don't. One of the most remarkable stories from the dimly lit corners of American history took place in 1847, Black 47, as it was called in Ireland. The country was in the middle of what has come to be known as an Gortamor, the Great Hunger. Millions of Irish men, women, and children starved to death when the potato crop failed for two years in a row and in a development that should still resonate today, the British British government left that stricken land to fend for itself. Somehow, the news reached the Choctaw people, who, only 16 years earlier, had been marched from their ancestral lands across the Trail of Tears to Oklahoma. Thousands of them died along the way, many from starvation. 
1847, from their meager finances, the Choctaw Nation raised $170, the equivalent of $5,000 in today's money, for Irish famine relief. Only fairly recently has the story been brought to light, and a lovely memorial was built in honor of the Choctaw people's generosity in Middleton, County Cork, in Ireland. Now it seems the Irish have chosen to repay the old debt by coming to the aid of the country's native peoples. And there's a quote from The Independent that says, Over 70 people have died with COVID-19 in the Navajo Nation, which lies across parts of Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. Navajo and Hopi families set up a GoFundMe campaign to raise money for food, water, essential supplies, and PPE, which has raised more than $1.6 million. Several donations came from Ireland, inspired by the help provided by the Choctaw Nation tribe during the Great Famine. One of the campaign's organizers, Vanessa Tully, wrote, The heartache is real. We have lost many of our sacred Navajo elders and youth to COVID-19. It is truly devastating and a dark time for our nation. In moments like these, we are so grateful for the love and support we have received from all around the world. Acts of kindness from indigenous ancestors past being reciprocated nearly 200 years later through blood memory and interconnectedness. Thank you, Ireland, for showing solidarity and being here for us. Wow. Yeah, the article ends with a, um, a piece, a quote from Seamus Haney that says, history says don't hope on, the side of, on this side of the grave, but then once in a lifetime, the longed for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. Ugh, I love Seamus Haney. <laughs> I know Ripped get you and shocked. We had to read him in high school and we read him mm-hmm. and Mary Shelley. And everybody was like very staunchly on one of their teams. And I loved James Haiti. Everyone like couldn't stand when we would listen to his poems. And he'd always say like, or I just remember him saying ripped and shocked and everybody like really hating it and me being like, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Seamus Haney is a boss. So I know that that is not directly uh, related to women, but that news was too good to not share. Cause I think we all sort of, are needing to be reminded about the goodness in the world. And that article really moved me today. Yeah. I mean, and it's an example of um, people taking care of other people and taking care of people that they don't necessarily even know, which is sort of the point of like a lot of what we're doing right now. So it's good to hear like a somewhat success, although it was also pretty sad. Um, But (laughs) hopeful is always is always good right and i want to give a brief shout out to um our mom who was a guest on the podcast a few weeks ago she has joined a facebook group to sew masks to send to the navajo nation as donations and so she's been working on masks that she's going to put in the mail oh cool um yeah she's she's all right she's a lady we like her (laughs) (laughs) Um, if you want to get in touch with uh, Hannah and I and the podcast, you can reach out to us on Twitter. We are at 28dayslady underscore ER. You can also send us an email. We are 28dayslady.er at gmail.com. We uh, really enjoy getting to spend this time with you. I can only speak for myself in saying that I really love getting to spend like an hour a week sort of just chatting with Hannah about movies. And I hope that um, this podcast is brightening some of your days because it certainly is brightening ours to make it 
Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that I have the brightness turned all the way down on my laptop, it is yeah, brightening my day in a way. Let's, let's let you go and uh, rest <laughs> that tired, tired brain, Hannah. Why don't we wrap for the week? Mm-hmm. All right, well, always, always pee after sex and watch your head when you're at work. 